In what we expect to be the last big tech event of 2020 this week, Apple announced three new Macs in its lineup that will start the transition away from Intel. The Apple Silicon M1 system on a chip sounds powerful and impressive, but performance stats aren't the entire story. I'm Jason Cipriani with Jason Perlow, and on this week's episode of Jason Squared, we're going to talk about what surprised us and what disappointed us at Apple's One More Thing event. All right, Perlow, so what surprised you coming out of this event? Uh, I, Jason, I, I feel like we did this show already. Like, we like did. It's, it's, deja, it's deja vu. All right. Yeah. So, so b- before we talk about surprises, all right, let, let's talk about what we actually got. Okay. True. Good point. So, so the processor. Okay, the yep. chip that powers these new Macs is called the M1, right? With the M standing for Mac, presumably. presumably. Yep. Okay, yep. right? So it's a system on a chip or, you know, or, or SOC, right? Meaning all the main system components, right? The, the processor cores, the cache, the memory controller, the memory itself, the graphics GPU. processor unit, all this is housed on a single chip. Now, yeah. that is a very big difference, okay, between what we had before, which is an Intel processor, such as Core i5, Core i7, Core i9, uh, along with its support chips and third-party chips from Broadcom, etc., plus discrete graphics processors like NVIDIA or the AMD chips, right? So everything fits on this one little chip, right? So yeah. the M1, okay, has eight processor cores which is compared to six on the A14 that's used on the iPad Air and the iPhone 12. So really, it's a big smartphone processor, right? Now, four of these cores are what we call high-performance cores, and four of them are high-efficiency cores, right? Now, the operating system, Big Sur, is smart enough to know how to switch between them on the fly in order to produce optimal speed of and, and efficiency, right? So this is what we call... Uh, asymmetric multiprocessing design, right? Or what they call big dot little configuration um, (laughs) that ARM uh, came up with originally, you know, before it licensed them out to everyone, Um, which is Apple has used on its A-series chips for several years now. Now, uh, the larger cores have, you know, 192 kilobytes of instruction cache, 128 kilobytes of data cache, and a shared 12 megabyte level two cache. Uh, Now, the four high efficiency cores have 128k of instruction cache, 64 half, about half the amount of data cache, and four megabytes of L2 cache. Now, the, like I said, these these chips basically flip between each other. The operating system flips between them based on the the load that it needs for the applications to run. Whether it need, if it's an application that requires more resources, it's going to go to the big chips. If it's like an office application or Facebook and it doesn't need a ton of power, it might go to the little chips, depending on on on, on how uh, the operating system perceives and, the, and what the what the what the apps actually uh, require, right? Uh, now, there's also a built-in eight-core graphics processor, a GPU, and a 16-core machine learning processor. Now, we've never seen yeah. a machine learning processor in a Mac before. We've seen them on iPhones and iPads for things like you know uh, digital photography uh, and, and you know and, and other types of um, of solutions. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of apps actually take advantage of that machine learning processor. Um, so what surprised you the most, Jason? It's for, and, and, what, and, what, and what do you take from this new chip? Well, <laughs> um, that was a very nerdy and technical explanation Wait, of what this Apple is a, announced. This is a nerdy program, Jason. <laughs> I, think, I think it was fantastic. Like, sometimes we got to get super nerdy. 
So right? I, I think so. what surprised me most so far is the explanation you just gave us, which I think was fantastic and, and it is worth diving into the way you just did. Right. And so thank you for that. Outside of that and what happened with the event, I think the biggest surprise for me is when Apple does these events, when they launch an iPhone or an iPad, there is always some sort of third party partner that takes the stage or as we've seen in 2020, takes the yeah. recorded video stage, so to speak, and is part of that demonstration in touting how great the new processor is or how great the new display is, some aspect of a new product. With Apple Silicon and the M1, I fully expected to see Microsoft or yeah. Adobe have some, some screen time yesterday during the event. And we didn't see that. We Now, Apple did talk about Adobe and the fact that Lightroom will have um, universal support for Intel and Apple Silicon next month and Photoshop would happen early next year. Uh, but they didn't bring anyone out other yeah. than a short third-party video that had a lot of random apps. They didn't really go into detail about what was going on. It was quick and brief demonstrations. So I think that surprised me the most was the lack of touting app support on day one for Apple Silicon, which there's a lot that goes into that. There's Rosetta 2, which is the emulation model that converts on the fly Intel versions of apps. And it's supposedly very well done. And they, they're, they're saying that there's hundreds of thousands of iOS and I, or iPhone and iPad apps that are ready to go in the App Store on day one when these new Macs launch, which is next week, uh, November 17th is when they'll actually be available in stores and shipments and pre-orders will start arriving. But I think the biggest thing for me, like I said, was just there was no Microsoft on the stage saying, hey, we have our yeah. full Office 365 suite ready to go on day one. It's a universal app. Let's, you know, we're excited about it. Or Adobe fully showing off Lightroom that they're going to launch next month. You know, there was no demonstration there, which, like I said, caught me by surprise. So you did your nerdy explanation, but you didn't tell us what surprised you. What, well, what surprised you? Okay, so like you, I was expecting more of a native application rollout, whether, you know, the big billion-dollar Cocoa apps or all these Catalyst apps, right? And, right. and frankly, I was expecting a huge parade of Catalyst apps and we didn't get any shown at the event. So that concerns me somewhat. Now, at the end of the day, I got the same developer emails. Everybody else, go submit your crap, right? And so there's this big call for submitting your crap. Let's see how much of this crap is actually submitted by the third parties. Now, I, I have to assume that Apple is working with the big developers like the Adobe's, like the Microsoft's, and they're all yeah. hard at work. But some of these apps are very big code bases. They're not just simple flip the switch on the compiler and, and yay, it's going to work. You know, they're going to have to resolve and re-architect, redesign, you know, rewrite certain aspects. Maybe they'll take parts of their, their iPad apps and integrate it with their desktop apps and figure out, you know, what components they're going to keep, what they're going to discard and what they're, how they transition to their next generation code base and how they unify it. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that has to be done for those apps. I mean, we're talking really big, important apps. I mean, we're talking stuff like Photoshop, you know, and, and, and even Apple's own stuff like Final Cut and Logic Pro and all these, these are very big, complex applications. And you don't sure. just flip a switch on them and expect them to run native 64-bit ARM and, and perform optimally, right? Just, well, just, Apple, just Apple did magic. say it's that. It's not going to be magic. 
Yeah, a Apple did say every app that they make for the Mac, whether it ships by default on a Mac or Final Cut Pro, all those other apps you just mentioned that are Apple's, they're all ready to go on day one. They just didn't show them off. I mean, we saw brief clips, right? But they didn't spend that usual demo time walking no. us through, here it is, live, you know, recorded, but here it is, here's how it works. They didn't spend time doing that, which, like I said, just well, that it was I, unlike Apple. I also, if they have Final Cut Pro working in Logic Pro, they, they should do. be able to at least show them if they're running in nat as native code today or all native code, maybe they're partially native code. Who knows exactly how much of it they've actually moved over by now because these are really big apps, right? Yeah. Um, the, I'm surprised with all the charts and graphs they showed of stuff. Look, expect the 3.5 times performance of this. Yeah. Why they couldn't show side A and side B. Here's FCP cutting and rendering a video on Intel versus FCP native running on uh, a, a, a similar 16 gigabyte uh, you know, Mac mini system. And this is how much faster it is running this. They didn't do that. Yeah, export an AK clip, like a 10-minute AK clip, and show us the time-lapse of, you know, the performance difference. I would have loved to have seen that yesterday. And maybe they're waiting, you know, they're eventually going to send these out to reviewers. You have to imagine those will hit, you know, reviewers this week, and we'll see reviews start popping up later next week before the launch. And maybe they're waiting for those demonstrations then. I, I don't know. It, it was... It was really on Apple like not to give us some sort of insight into the exact performance difference between Intel yeah. and Silicon with with vague numbers. Like you said, 2x performance, 5x performance. Okay, but what do those numbers truly mean? And, and, you know, we usually get that from them and we didn't this time. So surprises are one thing, but disappointments are another. What disappointed you the most yesterday with the announcement and the event? So, Jason, to paraphrase the eternal sage, Sir Mix-a-Lot, <laughs> I like Big Ram and cannot lie, you other brothers can't deny, um, that the M1 chip maxes oh out at 16, you like that, right? That, yeah. that this chip maxes out at 16 gigs of RAM, okay, is going to put a ceiling on the kinds of work many creative professionals do. Those are the folks that really are the core audience of Mac users, okay, and can really take advantage of the processing power of these machu new machines, okay? I personally would have liked to have seen a 32 gig or 64 gig uh, version of those chips um, used in, in the new machines. Uh, this is one of the main disadvantages of having an SOC versus a full microprocessor chipset, okay, out of the gate, okay? So with Intel systems, okay, that RAM bus is separate from the main processor bus. So you can have the ability to expand the memory with slots, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But with an SOC like the M1, you can't do that, right? So the M1 yeah. is really just a big, beefy version of a smartphone processor. Um, it has more cores and, and more cache. Um, and, and of course, the memory for graphics is integrated. It's the same memory that the main system uses, right? So like you can allocate eight gigs of video memory like just like that out of the, out of the 16 gig pool, right? So, but the fundamental way it's put together is the same as a, as a smartphone chip, right? Which is all the components integrate on a single wafer. So at the same time, you know, that allows for that unified memory architecture to be very fast and it's gonna reduce a lot of performance bottlenecks, right? So maybe you might not need as much RAM for certain things, who knows? But so be, because of this tight integration and elimination of components, right? You get a far less complicated design on that main board. And also again, 
removing those bottlenecks and getting those performance improvements. Right. And because that M1 is based on that ARM Cortex, it's also much more power efficient than those Intel chips. So what we, we should see not just energy consumption go down, but the amount of heat that's generated, right? So the Mac, new MacBook Air doesn't even have a fan in it, you know, for example. So, but again, the disappointment is such, we don't really know how fast this chip is. Like you said, at the event, you know, uh, Apple said that processor speed can be up to three and a half times faster than the, in the previous Intel-based models. Well, graphics can be like, you know, five times faster. But we have no idea how that translates to things like clock speed, gigahertz, real-world performance with industry applications, any of that. We, we, we don't know any of that stuff. That's just a big mystery right now, Jason. Yeah it, yeah, it really is. And having eight or 16 gig memory options for me, that's something fine. But someone who lives in Final Cut Pro with that 8K video we were talking about yeah. or other graphic intensive apps that are going to eat up that memory quite a bit, uh, it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see just how well these perform. And, you know, I guess somewhat in Apple's defense, maybe not. It's, I, defense is probably the wrong word there. They do still sell Intel models of the MacBook Pros. Yeah. So, uh, which offer more memory options. I guess if you're someone who relies on more memory, that then you could go with one of those is their stance maybe. I, I don't know. You know, it's weird. As for me, uh, as far as disappointments go, I'm really disappointed they went really basic. Like, we knew these new chips were going to be in similar form factor devices, yeah. but you've referenced several times that these are basically really big, really powerful smartphone chips. Well, what's there's in nothing every wrong smart... with, There's nothing wrong with that fundamental design no. in, in ethos. I mean, it, it, the SOC is the future of, of computing. There's no question <clears throat> about that. Right, excuse me. Uh, but what goes in every smartphone? A cellular radio, right? And why aren't we seeing a LTE or 5G equipped MacBook Air? Right. Why, why, isn't, why isn't that Qualcomm chip there? Why did they not hit the ground running with their ARM processor that is used in an iPhone and iPad that has had cellular connectivity from day one yeah. and not integrate that in a MacBook Air? It, that, like, to me, hit the ground running and really show off what you can do here as far as the full suite of features that this processor enables. So and, by the and way, so, did, did you notice, Jason, that there's only, like on that Mac Mini, there's only two Thunderbolt ports, right? So, and you know, Thunderbolt, and Thunderbolt is an Intel standard, by the way. So, so that tells me that there's probably some stuff from the hardware that Apple needs to develop to, to, to allow for port expansion on the desktop machines better or, or something that, 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 that they're behind on that, that, that prevents them from having that many ports. It's example. not just the Mac Mini. The MacBook Pro yep. also only has two ports. And now this replaces, this replaces the entry model MacBook Pro that only had two ports as well. So you're, you're not losing anything there if the entry level MacBook Pro was your option. But now if you insist on having four ports or you require it, you're going to have to go with an Intel version. So, or if there you want is... 10 gigabit Ethernet, by the way, and 10 gigabit Ethernet, that's also an Intel standard. So, they're, so Apple is going to have to find out another chip manufacturer for for that controller, or figure out how to embed that into the next generation M2, you know, uh, yeah. or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, the battery life stats are great, but I would have rather had a MacBook Air with, you know, 
14 hours, 15 hours of battery life and an LTE modem in it that I could connect anywhere. Sure. Um, as opposed to 18 hours of battery life or whatever ridiculousness it is. I mean, we're on the verge of being locked down again. So battery life doesn't yeah. matter to me like at all, you know, so I, I'm near an outlet 24 hours a day right now. Battery life, you know, an internet connection is at least in my house up and down some days with remote learning and, and everything sure. else. So having LTE to fall back on would have been a nice addition. So I guess, you know, one of the last questions is if you needed a new Mac today, mm. would you buy an M1 powered Mac? Maybe. Uh, I was thinking of giving my MacBook Pro uh, that I just bought, you know, in February uh, to my wife and then picking up a Mac mini to be my main desktop machine. Uh, she's got an older PC laptop. It's probably five years old. Um, she's always complaining about it, freezing up or whatever. Um, so like, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll fix your wagon. I'll, we'll get you a Mac. Right. Uh, but the, the fact that this new Mac mini wouldn't have more Ram than my MacBook pro, uh, you know, if I, if I went to, if I took, if, if I gave her my laptop and, and, and took the mini instead, sure. uh, doesn't have more Ram. Uh, kind of puts the brakes on that. I, I would kind of want something with a bit more breathing room um, to start, especially if you start emulating a whole bunch of junk that I'm going to have to run. Um, I suppose I could live with only 16 gigabytes of RAM, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't love it. Um, my mom and dad both need new desktop computers. I would definitely recommend the new mini to them, especially at that introductory price. You know, they're not super power users. You know, they mostly use web browsers and stuff. Um, I, I told you, by the way, I expected these things to cost the same as current systems, and I wasn't kidding, right? I mean, look at the yeah, prices the, on these. They're, you they're, they're exactly what, they, what, what the older systems were. And they actually, they dropped the price on the Mac Mini by $100, yeah. which I think yeah. is a way to entice developers to get on board. Um, you know, they, they did send out developer transition kits that were a Mac Mini running Apple's A12Z or Z processor. But I think for the developers that didn't want to spend money, it was a $500 investment. Um, to get the d developer transition kit that, by the way, has to go back to Apple when the developer or whenever Apple decides to recall it. So, uh, it, you know, I think the dropping the price was a way to entice developers and maybe some of those people sure. who uh, need a desktop but don't want to spend a ton of money on it. As for me, would I buy a Mac M1? Yeah, absolutely. I, in fact, I need a new Mac. My iMac has uh, had a you know, had a good run, but it's time for me to upgrade. I've talked about it many times on this show. And I think I'm going to wait a little bit uh, just to see what yeah. the initial hiccups are. But I would suspect by Christmas, I will have a 16 gigabyte, one terabyte Mac mini on my desk, powering a couple monitors, uh, probably with some yeah. dongles and hubs and everything else so I can connect everything to it since, like you said, there are only a couple ports on it. But I... I'm most excited about the aspect or the you know possibility of running iPhone and iPad apps directly on it without developers having to do a whole lot. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting thing. If Apple's yeah. statement that 100,000 apps are ready to go on day one is accurate, man, that's going to open up a lot of potential for a lot of different use cases for consumers and enterprise, right? Like there's, there's a lot of, a lot of potential there. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I think it's going to be a great machine for consumers and students to start out just because of the, of the types of apps that currently exist in the app store for, for iPad. I mean, I, I quite frankly, there isn't enough 
mainline business applications on, on iPad yet. I mean, there's a few of them that are good. Um, you know, Microsoft has a full range of apps for iPad. Um, it, there's there's some decent there's some Adobe apps that for iPad. I don't know if Adobe is going to flip the switch on them and for for Creative Cloud and instead going to say use you know the the Intel version instead. There's going right. to be a lot of weird political decisions being made about whether you know uh, some of these developers offer their iPad apps out of the gate versus um, you know their existing Intel code base uh, running on Rosetta. So uh, and it, it it I mean we're already hearing you know possibly that you know both. Google and Facebook might not offer their apps because of, um, you know, uh, advertising uh, network related issues. Um, I'm curious what a what Amazon's going to do and some of these other things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a good entry level system, the mini for people to try and test out. Like I said, I stay I may still pick one up just to play with one and just to get my wife off of that damn, you know, Windows <laughs> machine. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I think uh, this is going to be like a slow burn. I think we're going to see a release. We're not going to see a million killer apps available um, from day one. I think some of the, the better apps that are that are that are larger code bases, um, what we call those, you know, those those really important workflow applications for the industry. Those will take longer to come out from from third parties. Yeah. And um, you know, when we start seeing people actually produce work with these things, is when we're, we'll see the testimony of whether or not. Uh, you know, this this new architecture is is adopted fully on, on, you know, within the first six months to a year. I know exactly how to convince you to buy a Mac Mini today for delivery next week. And it is HBO Max. They've already confirmed that it yeah. will be supported on day one uh, with launch. Jason, maybe I don't need an Apple TV. Maybe I need to go <laughs> buy a right. Mac Mini and hook it up to my TV set and just be done with it. And you're done. You're set. I mean, you care right. a lot about HBO Max. Avid listeners and followers will the know Apple that. The Apple TV app works. The Apple TV app works and Netflix <laughs> right. work, right? So they're all iPad apps. We just play iPad apps on my television. Yeah, there you go. You're set. And I mean, there's games, Apple Arcade. You're now an Apple One subscriber. You're set. You have exactly what you've been talking about for months now. In the right Mac now, Mini. we just need a remote, a remote control interface that, and we're, we're done, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Any closing thoughts? No, no, no. It's 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 a it's a it's a it's going to be a wonderful 2021. We're going to have a new Mac and new other stuff, <laughs> yeah. right? Lots to look forward to. I yes. hope. Yeah. yeah, I think it's going to be a while before we see the true potential and benefits on the high end for Apple Silicon. M1 is just the entry level, almost yes. a beta of sorts, a public beta of, hey, proven that it can be done. And here, here's some performance gains, but wait till we really get into this. M5, M6 or whatever it ends yeah. up being is going to be really impressive. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about Apple Silicon in the future, as well as eventually getting my hands on it and testing it myself. I'm Jason Cipriani. And I'm Jason Perlow. And this is Jason Squared. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And make sure to check out more of our work at ZDNet.com.